The Science Of on The Money Show. We are going to be looking at the science this evening of money laundering. The Not the how to do the money laundering, because that would be unethical, but just how big the problem is, just how large it is around the world. Martin Woods is Global Head of Financial Crime for the Regulated Businesses of Thomson Reuters, based in London this evening, from where he joins us tonight. Martin Woods, thank you for your time on The Money Show this evening. What does the Global Head of Financial Crime for the Regulated Businesses of Thomson Reuters do? It's a big title. I'm hoping it's a big and interesting job. Bruce, good evening to you. I think the first thing I should do is probably shorten the title, really. <laughs> Please. Um, <laughs> but but it is a very, very uh, interesting job. Thomson Reuters is, in fact, the um, owner and the uh, provider of the world's biggest foreign exchange trading platform. Most central banks in the world trade through Thomson Reuters platform, and it trades trillions of dollars of currency in multiple different um sovereign currencies every single month. So I'm a busy guy. Most of my clients are banks, and um, my requirements are not dissimilar to the same requirements your your listeners face when they um, seek to open bank accounts in South Africa. Essentially, the, the discipline is called know your client, know your customer, and prove that you know who they are. Uh, it's massively complicated. Obviously, we've seen uh, Standard Bank, South African Bank, um, with operations in London, fined by the Financial Services Authority in London because it failed to do proper checks and balances. Subsequent to that, we've seen South African banks here fined also for having inadequate protections against money laundering. Um, it, it is this global phenomenon, and I'm sure South African banks aren't the only ones who've been admonished for being a little bit slack. Absolutely. Um, you know, the hiatus we've reached now is, is um, the French bank BNP Paribas um, being the subject of a $9.8 billion penalty from the US authorities. And to, to put that into some context, Bruce, only nine companies have ever reported quarterly losses of $10 billion or more. And OK, some did it more than once in the global financial crisis. But it's testimony to the fact that $9.8 billion is, is just a huge sum of money and will have a significant impact upon the business of BNP Paribas. Moreover, the fact that the U.S. authorities are going to prevent them clearing U.S. dollars starting January 2015 may actually see that, that $9.8 billion become a multiple. And I'm not talking about adding $1 or $2 billion. I'm talking about a multiple of $9.8 billion in lost revenue and the cost of fixing the problems that have been identified by the US authorities. It does suggest that money laundering is a very significant and topical issue. Just how big is the problem worldwide? It, well, it, the United Nations give some estimates, and you know they, they talk about trillions, maybe two to three trillion dollars laundered annually. But where do money launderers submit their returns to to be able to generate <laughs> those figures? Exactly. In, in, in some instances, you know. We, we, are, we identify it through what we suspect to be typologies and what we suspect to be the volume of drugs um, sold, etc., etc. So drugs remains at the heart of this. 70% of the revenues generated by global organized crime comes from drug trafficking. But I'm not an organized criminal, and neither are, are your listeners, hopefully. But they may know somebody who's engaged in tax evasion on a small or a grand scale, because tax evasion is now, in fact, the new frontier for our global regulators and for our local and national regulators. Our governments are broke post the global financial crisis. They're looking to fill their piggy banks with money and they're on the march and on the front for looking for unpaid taxes, particularly held overseas away from their own sovereign countries.
Uh, we've, we've seen, for example, people from fields as diverse as football with David Beckham and the former chief executive of the London Stock Exchange having their tax structures called into question in recent times as your government, the United Kingdom government, tightens up on its regulations as well. And it's saying tax evasion is a form of money laundering. You, you're you not disclosing and you're not paying an appropriate amount of tax. Um, is this a sign of desperate governments? No, not quite. I mean, if you think about it, Al Capone, very notorious criminal, didn't go to prison for killing people, and I'm sure he did, um, or for drug trafficking, and he most certainly did. He went to prison for tax evasion. Yeah. It is a criminal offence. You pay yours, Bruce, I'm sure. Yep. I pay mine. Yep. In the event that other people don't pay theirs, you and I have to pay more, and that's just not just. Yeah, absolutely right. When we look at money laundering in its most basic sense, however, and we, we talk about the dark market, the underworld, the seedy underbelly of drug trafficking being one of the primary sources of, of money, uh, illicit money around the world. Typically, how is money laundered? And, and, and we go, just explain to me the process of money laundering and, and what is being utilized worldwide as, as strategies and techniques. Okay, the primary... Um money that's laundered is cash. The the drug business is a cash business. You can't pay for your drugs using a cheque. That's not based upon my um, former addiction. In fact, I didn't have one, but I was a drug squad <laughs> officer. Oh, you were? And, okay, that's um, your background, is it? Okay. Yeah, I was a cop for 18 years before I moved into banking or finance in 2001. And one of my roles was on a drug squad. And drug dealers tend not to accept the cheque because <laughs> it will either bounce or create an unwanted audit trail between themselves and their clients. Exactly. Consequently, it's cash. Yeah. Now, a friend of mine is Bob Mazer. He's a guy who, as an undercover federal agent, laundered billion, millions of dollars for the Bank of Credit and Commerce International in the uh, late 1980s, early 1990s. And he estimates now that um, about $400 billion of drug money is laundered in the United States every year, and they seize $1 billion, the authorities, which is equivalent to 0.25%. So launderers are limited by two single factors. Their imagination and the controls put in place to prevent them laundering money by banks and financial service institutions and law enforcement globally. So um, launderers are looking for new opportunities and new ventures all of the time, but they do have such vast sums to launder. They often need financial services providers. They need accountants, they need lawyers, and they need banks because you can't launder such huge sums using smaller businesses and therefore, banks really need to be on their guard against, you know, big cash businesses present big risks. You, you see a phenomenon and a risk for ourselves as um, customers of banks and for societies as a whole is banks now de-risking. So banks are moving away from areas of cash business and many, many banks are refusing to provide services to um, money service businesses, um, as the French call them Bureau de Change. The net effect of that is, is we lose competition on our high street. We begin to pay more for the financial services we provide, and um, it, it has a negative impact upon us. So launderers, they very often like to launder with high-value, low-volume goods, watches, jewellery, um, gold. Um, but they also, they're, like, they're not necessarily different to you and I, Bruce. They have a wife, they have children, yeah. they have aspirations, they live in a nice house, and therefore they are also buying investments. So laundering is not necessarily always so um, typical of, of uh, you know, taking losses on our transaction. It's very often structured finances, very, very similar to the same kind of transactions you and I might, may undertake. It's 
very often, because of that, all the more difficult to spot. Uh, I want to talk more to Martin Woods in a couple of minutes' time. He's the global head of financial crime for the regulated business of Thomson Reuters, a former police officer who's moved into Thomson Reuters, where, uh, and Thomson Reuters, as he explains, is one of the biggest platforms used to trade foreign currency around the world. He sees all sorts of people up to all sorts of dirty tricks on a daily basis. Martin Woods on the line to us from London. He works at Thomson Reuters. He is in charge of financial crime of the regulated businesses at uh, Thomson Reuters. Where is the world's biggest hotspot for money laundering, Martin? Well, that's a very simple one, and and I'll answer it in one second. If I just may clarify one point you made um, before the adverts, you referenced that I see bad guys on a daily basis, etc., etc. You know, I must point out to your listeners, I don't. And that's because of the nature nature of the business at Thomson Reuters. We're a wholesale business. Most of our clients are banks. I have previously seen bad guys in um, the police service and in banking. You know, I, I, I am known as a person who blew the whistle against Wachovia Bank, and I testified against my former employer for laundering billions of dollars of Mexican drug money. That was in a former life. I don't see that in Thompson Reuters. Tell me, forgive me, I I didn't imply to imply for a moment that Thompson Reuters was at the centre of global money laundering, but um, you you would see the flows of money on a daily basis, possibly some of it, which is used in crime. Just tell me the Wachovia Bank story. Well, okay, let me go do the last question first. London is the number one one place in in the world for laundering money. uh, Absolutely. It's the number one financial services centre, um, it it um, transacts more foreign exchange than anywhere else in the world. It, you can incorporate a company in the UK in 60 seconds, and it can have you know considerable op- opaqueness. You can incorporate a company with bearer shares, so you actually don't disclose the shareholder. It's, it's just a piece of paper. No different to a banknote. If you own a piece of paper, you own the company. So if I give you the piece of paper, Bruce, you own the company. There are many, many factors about the UK that make it attractive to um, money launderers. And one of those factors is, is your own exclamation when you said, what? Because there's a perception that this is a very virtuous place for regulation, law and order. And that's a mis- misconception. I, I didn't more suggest, money laundered in London I didn't than anywhere else in the world. Mo- I didn't suggest moment, for one moment that the city of London is a virtuous place. I'm not that naive. No, <laughs> no. Um, but it, it does surprise me that it is the global epicenter then for money laundering, which is interesting. I would have uh, looked a little further east. I would have looked in towards Russia. I would have looked at Moscow. Um, but that's All that money comes here, Bruce. Like yeah. They all buy properties here. The banks are queuing up to say, yes, please bring your money here. The government says, yes, please come and live here. Pay us £50,000 a year to be a a, a non-domiciled tax resident. And um, we don't really care where your money comes from. Uh, And how vulnerable does that make, for example, the UK economy, if so much of the money is dodgy? Well, the UK economy is big enough to withstand it. But in smaller countries, yes, it begins to control the economy because money's power. And... um, that's the power that influences the decisions and if the money's corrupt money, you end up with corrupt decisions. Uh, and then now go back a little bit to Wachovia Bank where you were an employee, where you blew the whistle dealing with uh, with Mexican drug cartels, Wachovia Bank? Yeah, I was ahead of money laundering for their London business which cleared all of their non-US dollar transactions and I um, confronted numbers, large numbers of suspicious um, transactions related to Mexican money service business clients. And, and when I reported these matters, um, it, it led me to some kind of confrontation with the bank that led me to actually reporting the matters to the authorities in the UK and the US. Ultimately, I gave evidence against the bank at a grand jury hearing in Miami, and the bank paid a penalty of $160 million, which at that time was the biggest penalty paid in the US for money laundering breaches 
Obviously, that's um, small beer nowadays. Uh, it is nowadays. It doesn't win you the Employee of the Month trophy. What it does, however, is expose just how ostensibly commercial, legitimate and commercial banks are utilised in the world of money laundering and by the money launderers with the knowledge of executives. Well, we've... we've We've implied knowledge or we're turning a blind eye. And, and here's my view of this now in the time I've been in this business and in this industry, which is 25 years plus now. I think back a while ago, money laundering was not seen by banks and, and other parties as a real crime. It was one step removed. And I've always articulated a view that you have to ask yourself how close is a launderer's finger to the trigger of the killer's gun. And now I think the $9 billion fine puts it into a different place. It says it is a real crime. It has a real impact. And the next step for the authorities will be they will send bankers to prison. Uh, and and uh, we haven't seen on, on any substantial scale anyway um, that that's that occurring at all. No, um, but if, if the $9 billion fine doesn't have the effect of, of causing this to stop or reduce, then the authorities are putting themselves into a position whereby they have no other option. My colleagues, my, my, my former colleagues in law enforcement in the U.S. Um, determined that some of the penalties are effect, effectively pay-to-play, and many, many commentators in America see it the same way. Pay-to-play, so effectively, pay to play. You, you, know what the, you know what the likely fine is going to be, provided you're making 10 times that, will the fine is cheap at the price? Yeah, yeah, but now that the pay's gone to $9 billion, I don't think BMP were ever making that kind of money. Moreover, I think they'll lose multiples of $9 billion, um, going forward over the coming years as they lose business because they're unable to um, transact US dollars, which is the global trading currency. Okay, questions for my listeners this evening. Jan Dirk on the SMS line saying, are casinos still used to launder money? It would have to be a huge casino to uh, launder the amounts of money that you've been talking about this evening, Martin. Yes, but then the casinos are used. But casinos for many, many years have had excellent intelligence systems as much as anything else to protect their own revenue. So they know they can identify card counters and they can identify activity that's consistent with money laundering. You know, if two players come to the same table simultaneously, one bet's red, one bet's black, (laughs) you know, 10 on each and then they put one on green to cover the option. And at the end of the night, they walk out with roughly the same amount of money, but in the form of a check from the casino they won't be welcome the next night. Um, provided there are enough casinos, you can launder quite a bit of money that way. But it does go through the formal system, which is, I think, the most terrifying part of this. The fact that London is the epicentre of this particular scourge and the fact that there are these these links to um, uh, to commercial crime. When we look at South, uh, to, uh, to South Africa, um, does South Africa sort of uh, come up on the radar in terms of money laundering states? No, I mean, I was in South Africa last month and I was, you know, presenting at a conference put on by Thomson Reuters and Deloitte. And we, uh, you know, the, we met with a number of stakeholders in this, let, let's call it this fight against money laundering and financial crime, including the banks and the regulator. To their credit, they came together in a positive way to take action. Um, the transgressions referenced for the four banks in South Africa were not so serious. No. Um, the legislation in South Africa is changing. South Africa also recognises, you know, particularly the authorities in Joburg, Johannesburg, that the gateway to Africa is South Africa. And seven of the world's top ten fastest growing economies in 2015 will be African countries. So there are great opportunities there. 
And the fact that the um, banks and the regulators see the threats posed by money laundering to those opportunities is testimony to the way they are looking at this and they're seeking to put in controls to make sure that the bad money doesn't come in, leading to bad decisions and bad government. When we look at it, I mean, we look at the, the issue of mitigating risk and companies have got to mitigate risk, countries have got to mitigate risk, and especially if we are on the cusp of an African renaissance, an African boom in trade and in business, um, it, we are likely to become targets, are we not? We've got to be very, very vigilant when it comes to dealing with these issues. Yeah, for sure. And I did reference that, you know, I, if I was in South Africa, I'd be looking north to see, you know, your headlines tonight are about Boko Haram and, yeah. and, and 25 people killed in Nigeria and, you know, other terrorist activities in the northern part of your continent some way away. However, um, as the terrorists see that the financial defences may be stronger in um, parts of the Middle East, they may travel south. And they're likely to travel south. They're looking for the banks and the countries of the lowest resistance where they can process their funds. Because to an extent, if you look at the ISIS objectives in Syria and um, and Iraq, that's that's basically to create a country. And countries need funds. Communities need funds. And those funds have to come from international donations or from businesses. So the ISIS and other terrorists are looking for banks to help them with their objectives. And the South African banks are well aware of this and are putting their guards up and making sure they're not drawn into this. Especially as they look to expand onto the African continent. We've got Barclays Africa, we've got Standard Bank, of course, which have got very significant African footprints and don't want to be drawn into, I'm sure, um, this particular uh, this, this particular underworld. Absolutely. You know, we work with those banks. With Thomson Reuters, not only are we on the financial side, we're on the risk side. We provide... Um, technology and services to 49 of the world's top 50 banks were trusted by regulators the world over and you know those two banks alone will, will be customers using our products and our services to help them to identify potentially rogue um, customers and potentially bad transactions to ensure that they safeguard the bank the customers the shareholders and actually the reputation of the the country's financial services system uh, Martin, is there any job in the world you'd rather be doing rather than uh, looking into this uh, very scary world, this underworld? It must undermine your uh, your faith in human nature considerably to sort of see the sort of detail and the facts and the data that you must see on a regular basis. I'm not sure that necessarily. I get it from both ways. I also, um, I'm, I'm, uh, my morale is boosted by the idea that there are many people like me seeking to make, you know, engage in the fight. I often say to people at presentations, I want you to think, uh, am I mad? And answer me at the end of this presentation, am I mad? And let me tell you, Bruce, I am mad. It's an acronym. It stands for making a difference. Uh, That's why I'm in this job. I'm in this job to make a difference. That's why I prepare to stand up to Wachovia Bank and to the bad guys and say, not on my watch, not in, not in, um, in my environment, not in my bank. Martin Woods, you're a superstar. Thank you so much for giving us so much of your time this evening to enlighten us and to educate us all about the world of money laundering. The global head of financial crime for the regulated businesses at Thomson Reuters, former police officer, guy who worked at Wachovia Bank and spilled the beans on money laundering within that group. His employee of the month statue was probably taken away the week after.